Good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. It's so good to see you guys. I hope you had a great week. Whether you're joining us here in person or online, we're glad that you're a part of Bethel. And it's a special day in the Heron household. Oh, no, don't do Pastor that. Pastor Reuben is 33 today. 33. Happy birthday, I'm Reuben. I'm climbing, I'm climbing the ladder, guys. I'm climbing the ladder. It is so good uh, to see everyone. I'm so thankful. Uh, man, uh, we were thinking about this morning, and we were saying how uh, there's not everywhere in the world does, is this possible? Not everywhere in the world do you have the privilege to gather in, in freedom uh, without persecution. And so I'm thankful that we have an opportunity to gather together with you all. I love seeing your faces. Sunday morning is one of my favorite times of the week uh, because, to, because I get to see people that I know and love and am growing even more and more to know and love. So thank you so much for, for being here and being a part of what God is doing here at Bethel. If you are here visiting with us, uh, we love you as well, and we're so thankful that you're here. And we want to connect with you this week. And so uh, if you would, uh, if, you're go, if you're on the live event on the Bible app, you can go to the more section and click on events, uh, and you'll see the live event for Bethel Community Church. In there is a link where you can click to fill out our online connection card, uh, and we would love to hear from you and see how we can better serve you this week. If you don't have the Bible app, you can just go to mybethel.cc forward slash connect, and we would love to connect with you there and see how we can serve you better this week. Yeah, we're going to be continuing our series on reset, or of reset, yep. on reset. <laughs> um, and so we're going to go ahead and get started, so let's tune in. <laughs> Good morning, Bethel. How are we doing? Good to see everybody this morning. We are jumping in. This is our eighth week in Reset. We're in the book of Ezra. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ezra. We'll be in chapter 4. If you have your phones, smartphones, you can go to the Bible event and our Bible app and download the Bible event and follow along this morning. Um, I want us to jump in with what we always say at Bethel. This is something that we have been saying for years, and I want us to say it together again. It's just not about us. It's all about... Oh, we can do better than that. Does everybody have their coffee? Everybody have their startup juice? All right, let's get this going again, okay? It's not about us, it's all about? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, there you go, there you go. Online, you guys probably did way better, didn't you? All right. Then the second thing we say is it's not about us, it's all about others. So it's about Jesus and it's about others. That's what our, when we follow Jesus, that's what it's all about. Um, A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of being um, in the Rockies and kind of had one of the greatest challenges of my life. Uh, Julie, if you'll put up that first picture. Um, if you've never been to the Rockies in Colorado, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to be. Down over there, you can barely see him, but this is Max over here in the bottom left. Um, but we had um, incredible opportunity to uh, hike and camp and, and just, you know, be men. I told Max, after two or three days in the Rockies, you're going to be like, this is what men should do every day. 
And it's the, the truth. After a few days, he's walking around. He's like scratching himself and burping and all that stuff that you do when you're out there um, hiking and camping. And the fourth day, we had an incredible challenge uh, where we hiked 14,255 feet. It's a 14-mile hike. And I had never been on this trail before. I had, didn't know what I was expect, what to expect. I didn't know what I was getting into. And we got to a certain spot. Julie, why don't you go to the next, uh, next one? We got to a certain place, and we were going just straight up. Now, I'm not going to show you the picture because I'll get in trouble. There's a picture of us on a ledge, hiking around a ledge. I did not send it to Christy because I didn't want her to be mad. But once we got to this one spot, um, I was a little nervous. And I said, uh, Max, we sat down and we were looking at the beautiful scenery, and I was not doing well. Like me personally, I was just not doing well. Number one, I thought, oh my goodness, it'd be easy for Max to slide off this and die. Number two, if that happens, I might as well throw myself off because I'll be in trouble, not just by my wife, but by my mother-in-law and my parents, and so I'll be in serious trouble. So I'm sitting there on the, on the cliff kind of looking out, and I looked at Max and I was like, hey, Max, um, I think we need to turn back. I think we should just go back the way we came. So we had to go all the way back the way we'd just come. I said, I think we need to go back. And if we, if we go back, we can go back to the camp, and we can eat, and we can have a good time. And we're sitting there. About 45 minutes later, we were up on the summit. So I'll show you the next picture. 45 minutes later, we were up there, and it wasn't because of me. This little guy said, I'm going to the top. I don't know about you, but I'm going to the top. And so my nephew's sitting next to him, and my nephew goes, okay. So he jumps up and starts going. My brother starts going. My dad's like, dang it. And <laughs> my dad starts going. And then I look at Max, and I'm like, are you serious right now? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, uh. So we started going. The last bit was miserable, just straight up. Well, we get to the top, and I hug Max, and I'm full of emotion. And I'm just like, Max, what in the world? I cannot believe that you did this. He, he would not give up. He was convinced that we could do it and persistence and resistance and um, just sheer willpower got us to the top, 14,259 feet um, on top of Long's Peak there in Colorado. What an amazing experience, and I won't forget it because my eight-year-old kicked my rear to the top. And a lot of us along the journey in life, we need some people around us to motivate us and push us to keep going. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, resetting. We've come back uh, to our building. Um, some of you are online and watching online and are not able to uh, be with us here in person. Maybe you're in Orlando. And, and we've been trying to figure out what is God doing in our, in our lives, in our churches? And what is God doing to reset us? And so as we're talking about reset over the last few weeks, we've asked God to stir us to awaken us, to walk with us, because we need his help. Life is crazy. Um, the, every single day that goes by, you can't make plans for the future. You can't make plans for tomorrow, for next week. As students here in Yukon um, are not going to be going back to in-school pers uh, person in, or in school classes for the next nine weeks or the first nine weeks. And it's, it seems like things are just out of control and chaotic. But Scripture says that we are more than conquerors because we're on mission and we follow Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about the people around us. And we need to realize that our whole country and, and basically the whole world is in the same boat as we are, but the big difference between a follower of Jesus and a non-follower of Jesus is that we know where we put our trust, where our, where our trust is placed is in God, is in Jesus, and what he wants to do for in our lives for us. There's purpose in all the craziness. God is in control, and it seems super cliche, but God is in control, and he knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, even though we don't. 
We can trust him. We can put our confidence in him. We don't claim to have all the answers here at the, at the church, but we will persist. We will resist the temptation to run away from God and his plan. And we realize that as followers of Jesus, we need to be restored. We need to be stirred and we need to obey. We need to act. We need to come back to God. We need to walk with God. We need to come back, not empty-handed, but we need to come back ready to win. We need to come back encouraging one another. And over the last three weeks, we talked about our gifts, the, the gifts that God has placed in us in order to serve the people around us, because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's all about others. If you remember in Ezra chapter 1, God stirred the heart of the king. This was a pagan, far-from-God man that was ruling the empire. And God stirred his heart to rebuild the temple. He knew what God was asking him to do. He understood the purpose. He understood that it would take the people of God to go back and rebuild. It would take obedience. It would take finances. It would take a team of people to go back. And so we saw in chapter 1 where God stirred the heart of the leader, but then also stirred the heart of the, of the people to go back. He stirred the neighbors. He stirred the neighborhood. And after a short while, we see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that they built a foundation the people were on a roll. They were seeing God moving. They were moving towards his purpose. And we're going to pick up the story here in chapter 4. In chapter 4, we're going to pick up and realize that as we do what God wants us to do, as we step into God's calling for our life, there will be resistance. So let's look at verse 1. It says, The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Just as a, a quick aside, anytime you decide to do something for God, anytime God stirs your heart and you begin to move along towards the, the purpose that he's called you to do, there will be resistance. There will be people that take note of it, they'll hear about it, and then they'll hatch a plan to try to stop you. Verse 2, it says, so they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, let's build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Ezehadan, Hardan, Ezar Haddon, wow, of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the other leaders of the Israel replied, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for our God, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Verse 4, then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. They went on, this went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until, until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Here's what you need to know. Not everyone will like, will like it when you decide to obey God. Not everyone will like it when you decide to obey God. Whenever you make progress, the people around you will take notice and some will not like it. You know, social media is such, a, such an interesting place to be um, in our modern culture. You don't know what's true, what's not true, but what you can, you can actually know is that if something controversial is out there, it'll get a lot of traction and a lot of comments. You may not be interested in the original comment, but you sure are interested in the 400 comments that are in the, the comment section, right? And you'll spend hours reading all this stuff and ooh, 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 and it's all back and forth. The problem with social media is that social media makes it look bigger than it actually is. And many people say things on social media that they never say to your face. We hide behind this keyboard and we, and we say things. So try to post something controversial about God. Try to do that. Oh, man, you'll get a lot of hate out there. But if you, if you, if you post something real easy, you won't get much hate. The problem with social media is that social media is fake. It's not real. 
And a lot of us live in this world on social media thinking that this is the real world. A lot of us can't even handle it. We, it, it comes with this immediate hatred when people succeed because most of us just post the good stuff. And this automatic thing that rises in your heart and you're like, mm, I don't really like that they did that, so let me see if I can post something better. Let me see if I can get the right camera angle for my face. And, oh, I'm on the beach and then I'm also in the mountains and I'm on the jet ski and I'm having a great time. Social media is just this fake world. And if we would all realize that, we could be about loving people and following Jesus. Whenever God asks our church to do something, we need to not let people on the outside tell us what to do when God has clearly told us what to do. Here in America, there's this thing that's going on now where a lot of outside forces are trying to influence the church to do something different than God has actually explicitly called us to do. This church is not about these four walls. This church is not about this building. This church is not about 4901 North Sarah Road. This church is about you. And when God, when the outside world tries to tell the church what they can and cannot do, we need to stand up and say, no, this is our work. If we have a script that we have to go by or we get called on uh, to not say certain things, and you know that I'm not like a controversial guy. The, guy. the biggest controversial thing I say is crap, right? It's not about that. It's about let's follow Jesus and whatever he asks us to do, let's follow him with abandon. And when we make the outside world look at us and, and try to tell us what to do and we actually bend that to that, we're not obeying what God has asked us to do. And a lot of you will say, oh, he's talking about, you know, Man, when they say we can't come to church, then we shouldn't, then we are gonna to come to church anyway and be rebellious. And oh, he's talking about the mass mandate. So I'm not talking about any of that stuff. That is the least important stuff on my radar. You know what the most important thing for me on my radar is? Living out my belief Monday through Saturday. Sunday's easy. It's Monday through Saturday where the real battle happens. It's Monday through Saturday where the decisions that I've made come to light and I can actually live them out. People had been given specific instructions to return and rebuild here in Ezra. They were not to be distracted or give the work over to anyone else. When God has given you a gift or God has given you a, an ability to come here and serve the body, it's not for you to say, oh yeah, that's for that person over there next to me. No, it's for you. It's for you to live out and for you to fulfill the mission that God has given you. Whenever you take a stand for Jesus, expect resistance. Expect people not to like it. And actually, non-persecution is not normal when following Jesus. We've been lulled into sleep over the last several decades and thinking that non-persecution is normal and actually what we should strive for. And I'll tell you this morning, the opposite is true. If there is no persecution, something's wrong. If you're not causing people to be upset because you're following Jesus, something is wrong because it's the most normal thing to receive persecution. Expect resistance when you follow Jesus. Expect resistance when you do what's right. Expect resistance when you obey God's leading, because obedience leads to resistance. Resistance leads to pain, and pain leads to growth. If you go to the gym and you have zero pain when you leave the gym, what did you do? But the reason you go to the gym is because you know it's going to be painful, and then on the other side, there's growth. A lot of us need to go to the gym a little more often. But our most natural inclination is no resistance, no conflict, and I'm going to sit on the couch with my bowl of vanilla ice cream with a few little nuts and my chocolate syrup on top. Ooh, that's no resistance right there. Amen. That's fun. Huh? That's fun. 
But most of us as believers and followers of Jesus think that that is the normal Christian life. And actually, the normal life of a follower of Jesus is a life of resistance and a life of pain. I want to talk about this for just a second because many of us have bought into the wrong theology. Theology is our belief of God, how God actually shapes us and and what we find in Scripture. A lot of us have bought into the wrong theology. And I'm just going to call it the theology of glory to glory. We've bought into this idea, whether we say it or not, or whether we believe it or not, we act like this, where we've bought into glory to glory theology, which means anytime that I'm following Jesus, everything should be perfect. Like I should never, ever have struggles because if I follow Jesus and I say, ABC, I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray, then four, my life should be perfect. That is far from what we find in scripture. You know what scripture says? Expect the world to hate you if you love me. That's what Scripture says. You know what Scripture says? Pick up your cross and follow me every day. Well, that doesn't sound too much fun. The Scripture says, deny yourself, and I'll recognize you before the Father. These are all difficult, resistance things. The theology of glory to glory is super anti-biblical, and yet most of us default to that because we think that, oh, hashtag blessed. I'm going to be blessed if I just follow Jesus. Post this and 10 people like it. You'll be blessed. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that I should expect resistance. We need to believe actually the theology of cross to glory because Scripture says that we will participate with Christ one of these days. We will participate with Him in heaven in His glory, but we have to struggle on this earth through the cross. I'm going to read this. It says, the theology of the cross in this sense contradicts the assumptions we normally have about life. It says that God is most reliably present, not in our strengths or our successes or the things we like best about ourselves. Rather, God is present and working in the world exactly in the place where a person is falling apart, where they're discovering the limits of their power instead of its possibilities. It also means that God is always involved with people in situations exactly as they currently are instead of as they could or might be. The New Testament is full of themes of cross to glory. In addition to the crucifixion itself, we see that Jesus preferred sinners, outcasts, hypocrites, in his humble and unexpected origins and in his teaching that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's also clear with Paul when he talks about wisdom and the foolishness of the message of the cross, Jesus crucified. And it's his insight that God's power is made perfect in weakness. You know where you can find Jesus? In your struggle. You know where you can find God? When you're climbing the mountain. You know where you can find God? When you are going through personal trial and heartache. You know where you can find God? In the middle of your sin. Because that's where Jesus steps into, and that's where we most clearly see him. We will face resistance when we follow and obey God, and that's where we find Jesus. God receives none of those uh, but those who are forsaken. He restores health to none but those that are sick. He gives sight to none but those that are blind, and life to none except those that are dead. He has mercy on none but those wretched, and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. That's what Martin Luther said back in the 1500s. Sometimes, when we look at the passage, the dissenters around us come from within. They come from people that we know, our friends and family, and say, it's a, little, a little bit of Jesus is good, but man, don't be so crazy. Don't go over the top. That's a little nuts. 
Listening to dissenters will distract you from God's work, so we shouldn't be just surprised if we're stopped for doing good. If you see this cycle in Ezra and you see it in our own personal lives, it goes like this. We're stirred to start something for Jesus. We make a little bit of progress. The enemy tries to stop us. We get discouraged. God encourages us through his people and his word, and then we recommit to start the process again. It's kind of like this cycle. We need to expect the resistance instead of being surprised by it. We need to expect it when it comes our way instead of being shocked when in front of us the enemy wants to throw something in our way. If you decide not to listen to the naysayers and dissenters, you actually will accomplish much for the Lord. But most of us cannot handle direct resistance from the people around us. Most of us go into hiding Monday through Saturday when we're not around other Jesus followers. Most of us are not equipped or prepared for the road of a follower. When there's people around us that are holding us accountable, man, we're awesome. But when we're by ourselves or around other people that don't believe, ooh, we act like uh, my friend Esteban, he has a little dog named Dolar. And this little dog lives in the house, and man, he's, he might as well be walking around with a little halo on because it's a perfect little dog. Listens to everything that's said and sits where he's supposed to sit. It's a great dog. I've seen him walk around with a Bible under his arm. It's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. But as soon as the door opens and that dog leaves the house, Man, these little horns come out, and this little dog is a street dog. He doesn't listen. He lives by and lives led by the street. It's not a good dog. This is called situational ethics, and unfortunately, many followers of Jesus fall into this category. Oh, man. I will call upon the Lord. Oh, yeah. Mm. And then as soon as we leave, whoosh, Hope nobody knows that I'm a follower of Jesus because I don't want any resistance. That's a, a lot of us act that way. When we embrace resistance, we actually find Jesus. When we embrace the pain of, a fo of following Jesus, we find, or sorry, fo yeah, following Jesus, we find him. But when we do, but what do we do when we're forced to stop the mission for God? Here in the United States, we have had the privilege for a very, very long time to gather freely to worship freely, to have zero opposition, and we can be here and express, that's actually written in our Constitution, that we can express what God has put in our hearts. But what are we going to do the day that we're intimidated, lied about, ridiculed, and stopped? A lot of you are like, we're going to pull our guns out, and we're going to make this thing happen. I, I don't see that in Scripture. I, I see in Scripture that we're supposed to expect it. We're supposed to prepare for it. We're supposed to draw close to Jesus because of it. Ezra chapter 4, verse 6 says, Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. You can read the letter in these verses. We're not going to go through them today, but it contained lies and deception and coercion. And look at the result, verse 23. It says, When this letter from King Artaxerxes was read to Rahum, Shishmai, and the other colleagues, they hurried to Jerusalem. Then, with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. So the work of the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped, and it remained at a standstill until the second year of King Darius of Persia. I'm not one to freak out if we lose our civil liberties. I've lived in a country that does not recognize the church. We've started a church that's thrived under socialism. We've, we've started a church in, in Central America in two different countries that actually persecution draws people closer to Jesus. And I think here in the United States, we need to get ready and prepared 
for the day when we're going to be drawing closer to Jesus. We can find him in the resistance. Jesus himself said this in John 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So remember, obedience leads to resistance, resistance leads to pain, and pain leads to growth. So, so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be resistant? It takes consistency, it takes camaraderie, and it takes commitment. I need people around me, and I need to consistently every single day commit to do what Jesus wants me to do. I got to keep my eyes on the mission. Don't get distracted with temptation. It's not, a, it's not a sin to be tempted. Actually, I can find Jesus in the temptation. Ignore the naysayers. Gather with other followers. We've got to celebrate when good things happen. Renew our commitment every day. Be true in public and in private and find Jesus in the resistance. Paul, many years later, this is what he said, verse 12 of first, uh, 2 Timothy 3, he says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, that doesn't sound very fun. But guess where we're going to find Jesus? We're going to find Jesus when things are hard. We're going to find Jesus when we're struggling with our personal health. We're going to find Jesus when we're struggling in our finances. We're going to find Jesus when we're climbing that hill and want to give up, and he comes alongside us and helps us get up the hill. So what do we do when we're alone and when we're discouraged? This exact same day coming down the Rockies, coming down this 14-mile hike, Max took off, and he got to the campsite an hour before I did. I was just walking, taking my time. Cloud came out, rained on us for about 10 minutes. I asked God, I said, God, you can control this. You can snap your fingers. This thing would be gone real quick. And I said, if you do, you'll get all the glory. Just do it. And I'm sitting there walking, and it's raining. I'm like, come on, God, you can do this. And boom, the rain went away, the sun came out, and I was like, whoa, God, what did you do? That was amazing. And down the trail, there was a lone hiker dressed in black. Sun came out, it was about 85 degrees, it was hot, and this hiker was coming up the trail. And the closer we got, I realized this hiker didn't have a water bag, didn't have a water bottle, and he was about, I don't know, eight miles up the hike. He was all alone. And I got close to him, and I didn't have a mask or anything, and he's like kind of backing up, and I'm like, how you doing, man? He goes, not good. I was like, you been here by yourself? And he goes, yeah, my friends took off, they left me. And I was like, have you ever been here before? And he goes, no. And I was like, dude, you got a long ways to go. It's tough. And I said, do you have any water? No. Man, what are you doing? That's not a good idea. And I about walked by him. I took about three steps and I turned around and I was like, oh man, come here. So I took my water bag off. I had bought this little souvenir bottle. I filled it with water and I said, hey, drink this. He drunk it down, just like chugged it down. And I said, let me fill that up again because you're going to be in trouble. You need this water. You either need to turn back now or if you're going to go ahead, you need this water. And I gave him the rest of my water. I got my dad's bottle and filled up the rest. And I said, hey, anybody on the trail that you see, ask them for water because you're going to be in trouble. That kid, I say he's a kid because he's probably 18, 19, went on a trail unprepared and all alone. And unfortunately, many of us are walking through life on a trail unprepared, and all alone. And here's, here's what's going on. I, I can guarantee you, this kid's mom was back home praying for a stupid kid. And what did God do? God sent someone to show up in his life. God sent someone to give him water. 
God sent someone to give him encouragement. And so right now, you might be on this trail all by yourself. You might be alone. You might feel overwhelmed. And I want to encourage you that right here is where Jesus is. This is right where Jesus wants to meet you. This is right where Jesus wants to pick up your burden. And this is right where Jesus wants to encourage you. This is right where Jesus wants to show you, hey, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. This is right where Jesus is in the moment. Say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you'll just come to me, I'll pick up your burdens and I'll carry your burdens. Jesus is right there. He's on the cross with his arms stretched out. And he says, hey, I'm here for you. And in that struggle, in that loneliness, in that trail, all by yourself, unprepared, Jesus wants to meet you. So what do we do when we're discouraged? Jesus is looking for you. Jesus wants to help you. Jesus loves you. You know, we don't serve a God that doesn't understand what we're going through. He's not advising from afar. He's not outsourcing our encouragement. He actually has stepped into our world. He stepped into our pain. He stepped into our situation, and he wants to show us a way. He's on that lonely road with you. And it's on that lonely road that you'll find him. Because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. God, this morning, many of us don't even want to acknowledge or realize that there's persecution. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge that there's resistance because we've bought the lie that things should go well and easy for a follower of Jesus. When you told us the exact opposite, and we see it in Scripture over and over again that the opposite is true, that when we follow you, we should expect resistance. And it's in that resistance that we grow. It's in that pain that we find you. God, this morning, I know all of us are going through different troubles and trials and loss and loneliness. My prayer this morning, Jesus, is that you'd meet us there. God, that you'd be so real right now in this moment that we'd be able to throw our burdens on you. And God, that you would strengthen us with your strong right arm. My prayer, God, this morning is that if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that this is the day that you draw them to yourself. Before we end up this morning, I just want to pray for you and if you say, Pastor Ray, pray for me. I'm going through something right now that seems chaotic and out of control. It seems like I don't have an answer. It seems like I'm just alone. I need Jesus in this moment. I need him to step in and lift my burdens. Say, Pastor Ray, pray for me. That's me this morning. Just slip up your hand. I'll pray for you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand back there. I see your hand right there. Hands all over the place. In this moment, the Father knows. And he sees you. He wants to pick up that burden. Maybe this morning you say, Pastor Ray, I need Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I don't know him. But this morning I feel a drawing to him. Scripture says that Jesus is looking for you and if you'll just put your trust in him, he'll pick up your burdens, he'll pick up your sin, he'll pick up your brokenness, and Jesus actually will give you purpose and life and a future and a hope. If this morning you're facing a resistance of life and you say, you know what, I need a companion, I need Jesus in my life, I'd love to pray for you as well. Say, Pastor Ray, pray for me, I need Jesus to come in and change me and save me and make me new. I'd love to pray for you. I can't save you, but I'd love to pray for you. If you'll just slip up your hand, I'd, I'd love to pray for you this morning. 
So I need Jesus this morning. Anybody like that? God, this morning we are grateful that we are not alone. We're even grateful, God, this morning for some resistance. Because when there's resistance, we know that you're working. And we see through scripture that every time there's resistance, you actually work patience in our lives and you work stability in our lives and confidence in our lives and joy through the resistance. God, as we see with the people of Israel there in Ezra, as they're trying to do something good, they're trying to rebuild and obey, there's so many roadblocks that come in their way, people actually bribing local authorities to stop them. God, I see that in our um, churches here in our community, here in our state, here in our country, where there seems to be this opposition to what you're doing, what you've called us to do. I pray that we, full of mercy and grace, would love people exactly where they are. God, that we know you're in control. We know that we can actually find you in the resistance. So I pray that Bethel Community Church, God, this morning would lean into you. Those that have raised their hands, God, I pray that you'd give them extra mercy today. Let them see you. Let them know that you're there. God, relieve their burden and give them wisdom to make the next move. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much. We know that without you, we're in trouble. You fill our lives with hope. You're actually our living hope. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Everyone go ahead and have a seat. Uh, this is weird because, I'm sorry, um, I'm, I wasn't supposed to do the wrap-up today. So, <laughs> but... I'm up here to yank him off if I need yeah, to. Right, you, can, huh. you can yank me off, take the mic off. <laughs> and uh, we've been studying through, like, just... Um, spiritual gifts and just like awakening and just like the things that God has been stirring in my heart. Um, and I want to tell you uh, a, a quick story. When I was back in uh, college, um, depression hit my life and I didn't know what it was. Uh, my, my, my now wife, I remember sitting in a car um, and I don't even know why she stuck with me. Um, and she asked me a question, and I don't know why this one always plays in my mind, but she said, uh, do, you, do you even think that I'm beautiful? And, and do you love me? And I said, I don't know. And I didn't know what it was at the time, and I think d depression is one of those things that, like, when you're isolated, you talked mm -hmm. about isolation, mm -hmm. um, that you just find yourself really alone. And I don't know who needs this this morning. If somebody, somebody is sitting in the, in the congregation this morning that maybe needs to hear this. Um, but for the longest time, I prayed for God to take it away. Mm. I would sit in my college dorm room. I didn't even want to pick up my Bible because um, I felt like I was alone. Mm. But looking back on all those years, it was in that season that I was searching so hard for God and who he was. And I said, show me yourself. Like I, I was, it was this drawing. And throughout the years, I even went through a period of time where, um, and not a ton of people know this, but uh, I went and we're online, so <laughs> everyone's going to know. But I even went through a period of my life where I was on medication uh, trying to deal with the, the effects that depression had in my life. Uh, and it was in that season where I was so drawn 
I knew that that Jesus was the only answer. Mm. And I remember all those years praying, and I still battle with some stuff today. Like, I mean, every morning that like I wake up, it's almost like this reset that I have to sit, remind myself of the truths about God. Mm. Um, and I, I want so bad for it to go away because you said something in the message. You said, we think that by following Jesus, our life will be perfect. And I had that mentality. Um, and I even think it, I would have it until this moment where hmm. you have that. Like, I almost felt like, God, I'm following you. I'm doing everything that I can to follow you. Yet, I still have this, like, yeah. overwhelming thoughts of depression and, and like, anxiety and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I talked to you a little bit before about that, but I wonder, and this is what, this is what I feel like maybe somebody needs to hear. I wonder if in that, in those seasons, in those moments where we feel like God is so distant that it's actually in those moments where we're, we're like leaning in. Mm. And I remember being in, in that season and in that moment or, or in having those experiences where I felt like God was so distant and yet I was it was in those moments where I longed for him the most because mm -hmm. when, when you made good, the best decisions too yeah maybe and, not practically but yes well, the, yeah, as but far like, as following him yeah and I mean I was drawn I was searching so hard for him and he got me through it you know what I yeah. mean but like it was in those moments where I had this longing for Jesus, where I long for him the most, because when things are good, when things are perfect, where you don't meet resistance, is when I almost find myself being like, oh, like I can kind of, I Nothing can navigate can life throughout yeah. my, on my yeah. own, yeah. and I don't really need Jesus, but in those moments of those dark times, it was when I was longing for him the most. So if we think about this, and I think everybody can relate, when we, when we do a, a kind of a mental calculation, we think, okay, so I'm, I'm tempted with sin. Maybe I've sinned this week, so Jesus isn't super happy with me, and I've got to get back to him. So I'm going to, like, repent, turn, and head back to Jesus. It's actually in those moments where Jesus shows up. Because if you're his child and if he's searching for you, it's not that we're going to run to sin so Jesus runs after us. It's that Jesus is actually there. If you, if you met Jesus when he lived on this earth, he was with sinners. He was with the people that were far from him, from him. He actually was pursuing them. And so in depression, in our sin, in the mess, in our isolation, that's where Jesus actually is. That's where he wants to meet us. When we're sick, he wants to heal us. And so if we think, and I think we all sit here thinking, okay, so I'm going to get to a certain point where my life's going to be so good that Jesus is just going to put me on cruise control, and then I'm just going to slide right into heaven. That's what we kind of think. Yeah. That's not true. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture, actually, Paul was like, I hope that I make it to the end. That's what Paul said, and he constantly battled it. He constantly fought it because he's human, and he had temptation. He had things, and, and especially when I make a decision today. Some of you are going to make decisions today, and you're going to leave this place and be surprised by how much resistance you're going to get right out the gate, mm -hmm. so much so that some of you will be like, oh, that's not worth it. I'll try that again later. So that's how a lot of us will do. So who's been to the gym I keep bringing the gym up because it's miserable. Who's been to the gym and you work out like a dog and the next day you can't get out of bed and you say, I'll try that again in a month <laughs> when I feel better? Yeah. Because we go and we work like a dog and that's exactly spiritually the same thing. We make spiritual decisions, work like a dog. Oh, that really hurt. I'm going to try that again later. Yeah. Once I'm better and I'm more mature and more spiritual and I've learned more, I'll try that again. That's not the way it works. 
It's the hard daily work of decisions, and Jesus is there in the struggle the entire time. Yeah, and it's when I hit those struggles that my instant question was, and I think a lot of us would ask this question, is when we face resistance, when we, when we hit something, we're like, mm, that feels uncomfortable, is to say, what did I do wrong? Yeah, God like, left what me. Are, yeah, yeah, like, what did I do wrong for God to be mad at me? And that was kind of like my first reaction, and, and it's like, God, here I, here I am at Bible college, and <laughs> studying to, like, go into ministry and serve you with my life, and, like, th- I don't even know what this thing is. Yeah. And this is a terrible. whole other discussion, but the most godless yes. place on the world is Bible college. <laughs> that's a whole different discussion, but <laughs> there, are some, there are some pretty that's godless pretty people bad. there. Right. But my reaction was like, what do I need to fix? What do I need to change? Like, so yeah. that God doesn't like essentially punish me anymore. I, right. I had this view of God that was like, he's this cosmic tyrant that's like waiting to like crush me. And at every turn, I have to be scared of like, if, if he's going to, if I'm going to make a mistake, and it was actually in those seasons where I found myself looking back. I was like, man, those were the seasons where I rested in Jesus because I had nowhere else Couldn't to do anything turn. else. Yeah. I really didn't. I Absolutely. tried everything. And I was like, I wonder. I'm sitting there thinking. <laughs> like, I'm sitting right here listening <laughs> to you talk. And I'm like, man, I wonder if I tried so hard to avoid those seasons of my life. And I try hard to, like, not go back into a season like that. But I look back on my life and how close I was hmm. and how restful it was to be like, man, even though this is so hard and I don't want to go through this anymore, I know that God is with me yeah. and that's a great thing. And, but I didn't know that then. Right. And so that's why I don't know. Like maybe, maybe somebody's here is like dealing with something, some depression, some, uh, some, something that you feel like, man, God has left me. And that's to say maybe, maybe God is actually right there. Yeah. And Definitely. maybe he's drawing you to say, I'm right here, and I'm with you in the struggle. Not apart from the struggle, but in the struggle. Definitely, definitely. And so that's what I want I like to, to pray for Pastor Ruben. Um, he's 33 today. It's yeah. Jesus' last year on earth, so we'll see if you make I it. I might die this past year. Then, so. All right. If you if make I'm, it past 33, it's going to be... you know I'm not Jesus, right? So this is a good thing. I <laughs> All right. Would, Let's pray that. for uh, Pastor Ruben. God, we are so grateful for you. We thank you so much for uh, Pastor Ruben and his family that uh, you've sent our way. God, they've been an encouragement and a blessing. Uh, God, thank you for his birthday, a day we can celebrate um, with him uh, for life and the day you chose to put him on this, this planet and how many of us are affected by him. Uh, God, thank you for his words as far as you being there in the moments, the dark moments, the lonely moments, the depression moments, the, the moments where we feel like maybe you're furthest, that's when you're actually drawing us close and we can rest. Uh, there's no other alternative. Uh, God, I pray that today our church would rest in you. Um, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the way that he showed us to live, uh, that we don't need to be fearful about tomorrow, don't be fearful about what rights or non-rights that we have, but actually we can rest in you because you're in total control. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, the only announcement we have, uh, thank you, Pastor Ruben, is um, the school supply drive this Saturday. If you have any questions, there's some information in the lobby. Also, Emily, uh, our children's pastor, she can help you. Uh, she can point you in the right direction. If you volunteered, uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, we appreciate you. Also, baby dedication and baptism is coming up. So if you'd like your child to be dedicated, your baby or child, uh, please sign up with Christy. And then if you'd like to be baptized on our website, you can go to the baptism section and you can sign up for baptism. So here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another, to find and follow Jesus. Jesus. Love you guys. Have a great week.